Welcome to Active Lab, hosted by your friends at Active San Gabriel Valley. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Wes with Active SGV. We are a place-based community organization focused on creating a more sustainable, equitable, and livable San Gabriel Valley. And this podcast is, of course, made possible by listeners like you, as well as the Liberty Hill Foundation. If you'd like to support Active SGV's work, you can do so at activesgv.org backslash donate. Donations at every level are greatly appreciated, and we have some very cool thank you items, as always, for our members. So today's show is really a, the first of a two-part series on the state of active transportation in the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, we are going to touch on some of the most recent and soon-to-be-completed active transportation projects across the valley. And we'll also have some highlights on Bike Month in the San Gabriel Valley. National Bike Month is hosted every May, and we are almost in the month of May. So uh, to jump right into things, as you know, there are over two dozen cities in the San Gabriel Valley. The region itself is is home to over 2.3 million people. We're not going to have time to touch base on every community. We're going to go city by city. Uh, really highlighting those communities that have the most high-profile and recent uh, walking and bicycling projects that are being implemented. Uh, Since there'll be a lot of discussion of projects and what they include and what types of infrastructure, in our liner notes, you'll be able to find images as well as some links to projects so you can actually take a look at what has recently been installed or what is about to be installed in these communities. And we're going to start in the uh, friendly city of El Monte. It's home to Active SGV's headquarters, for those of you who are familiar with the Jeff Seymour Family Center. Uh, It's also been the home for Active SGV's Executive Director, David Diaz, for a number of years now. He is joining us on today's call. So David, what has the city of El Monte been working on in the realm of active transportation over the past couple of years and what is about to be implemented? Yeah, thanks, Wes. So as some of our listeners may not know, the city of El Monte uh, has dealt with tremendous public safety issues for people walking and biking, driving around. The Office of Traffic Safety estimates that there are 700 persons who are seriously injured or killed due to motor vehicle collisions on a given year. And so an effort to address some of those ongoing public safety concerns, the city's taking on some proactive measures to increase ped and bike infrastructure in the city of El Monte, one of which includes the Tyler Avenue. So in 2015, was it 2016, we worked with the city for them to stripe their first bike lane in front of our sale park. It's half a mile of a class two. They're looking to build upon that work to actually take it to the Southern and Northern boundaries of the city limits connecting El Monte and South El Monte residents down onto Tyler and South El Monte that then becomes Santa Anita, that eventually after you cross the big scary bridge, the 60 bridge, you get to the beautiful Whittier Narrows. And then on our north end, it takes you actually all the way to our headquarters at the Jeff Seymour Family Center. We're hoping that within the next, hopefully calendar year, the city of El Monte is actually able to realize the Tyler Avenue Expressing's funding to result in a class two that's going to be connected from the southern end to the northern end, connecting families in El Monte to popular destinations. That corridor is also the SGV Streets and Treats corridor, and the event went along. So if you if you happen to make it out to that event in October, uh, that's really kind of a key north-south access 
in the community. Is it the only bike lane in El Monte right now on Tyler in front of Arceo? No, we have one more and it's about a little bit less than a quarter. It's on the Y. <laughs> it's by a school, Cherry Lee. So we have that one. We also have a couple of class threes in the neighborhood. I think to the tune of one <laughs> on Ramona Boulevard, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And yeah, those are all the, the, the ones that come to mind. But I think it's the only class two in the city of El Monte currently. Other yeah. than the one on the Y. But that one really doesn't count because it doesn't, it ends as soon as it starts. So this would really be the first cohesive, dedicated bike lane in the city if once this project is completed. Is there a sense now, I know, well, before the COVID outbreak complicated everything, it sounded like this project was going to design build in the near term. Is there a sense of when that lane may be striped? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think just as other local governments are dealing with the new reality, and so are, so are we, right? Switching our work to more, to being remote, I think government is still trying to figure that out. And I know that the city of El Monte is currently occupied with a lot of the direct assistance they're doing from food to financial assistance. And so right now we don't have a clear picture of what it looks like internally in terms of these projects moving forward, but we're encouraged that the city has continued to release RFPs, so requests for proposals to move some of these projects along. And so we hope to see this project get at least started within the next calendar year. And I know that they have been doing some, some repavement. So hopefully we'll see some more action on this in the near term. And you mentioned it's funded by the express lane. So for those that aren't familiar, there are toll lanes along a segment of the Interstate 10 and 110 freeways. And the revenue from those toll lanes by law has to be reinvested uh, within a three mile radius of the toll lanes. So every couple of years, or they did, Metro did two cycles of this where communities that fall within that three mile radius of the 10 in the San Gabriel Valley were able to request funding for projects, uh, local mobility projects, including local transit and active transportation projects. This is one of the uh, applications that was awarded funding and um, has just been rather slow in being rolled out and implemented. Yeah, most definitely. I think, you know, with smaller governments, there's always that concern of capacity as well as staff turnover that happens that delays these projects. But we're looking forward to seeing this finally get done uh, with some patience here. The other project that we're going to talk about is the other one that currently has class three Sharrows, which is Ramona Boulevard. Ramona Boulevard on its western limits actually connects you to the El Monte bus depot, the largest bus depot west of the Mississippi, um, and actually home to my favorite bus line, the 910, 950, where the city, working with Alta Planning and Design, was able to put together a feasibility study to transform this into a multi-use corridor where you're going to see potentially bus rapid transit, protected bikeways, improved pedestrian amenities, also the multi-benefit pieces such as utilizing traffic calming measures as stormwater capturing measures as well, combined with some really cool, well, at least in the concept renderings, they've, they've included some really cool uh, colorful crosswalks that are nearby the school to make it easy for parents to get to and from both sides on Ramona Boulevard, as well as for the adult school. So on that corridor, you have a couple of key destinations. So you have the Almani bus station, the Almani hospital, you have the Almani Rosemead adult school, you have Columbia elementary or middle school that's there. You also have an upcoming affordable housing project on Tyler Ramona that's coming forward there. 
So this will go from the Almani bus station all the way out to Peck Road, where you can see these improvements. I recently lived at the intersection of Valley Boulevard and Ramona, where you had multiple points of entry. The city's also working on modifying um, that intersection to make it easier for pedestrians and bicyclists to get across from it because as is, it is a disaster to try to get across as a pedestrian or a bicyclist on Ramona and Valley. And so the city's looking to do a quick build. So meaning they wanna quickly implement some of these infrastructure improvements from Ramona and Santa Anita all the way out to Peck and Ramona Boulevard. And that would basically allow both the community and the city to see and experience some of these improvements without making them final and permanent so they could be modified or improved upon, correct? Is that kind of the concept behind the quick build? That's correct. It's a longer term demonstration for them to experience what it feels like walking, biking, having actual amenities, things like shade, <laughs> somewhere to sit because those are, those are currently absent. I mean, along that whole remote boulevard corridor, there could really be some, some tremendous opportunities for improvement. And is there a sense for how long the demonstration would be? Is it like a month long thing? This time we don't have that information, but we hope to get to that information in the near term. All right, and I know Elmont, the city's also been working on Vision Zero for several years now. Safety has been a priority, as you alluded to, based on just the, the sheer number of serious collisions involving people walking and biking in town? So I, I think this has been, you know, kind of a career initiative for myself and I know a bunch of others over at Active San Gabriel Valley, you know, beginning from my days over at day one, another fellow nonprofit organization, one of the first things that we took on was a complete streets resolution, looking at how we can make streets friendlier to all users of the road, not just cars. And so it started with the city adopting a complete streets resolution in 2014 as was adopting the regional bike plan at the time for the city of El Monte, and then subsequently, you know, striking the first bike lane, building upon that work in early 2016, 2016, 2017, we organized with local youth to gather surveys, to gather information, to put on activities, to work alongside the city to kind of highlight the issue where ultimately the city ended up passing or adopting an Amani Vision Zero resolution to get all traffic fatality, traffic related fatalities to zero, within the next 10 years. And so Active and myself have taken a proactive role in spearheading and coordinating some of the early committee meetings to working alongside the city to make sure they get funded to do these activities, to successfully having submitted a proposal, have gotten it funded, and then now have released a request for proposals to actually realize the Vision Zero Action Plan. That's where we are now, I think. You know, a lot of us have experienced or know someone who have dealt with ongoing public safety concerns, walking, biking, people with disabilities in this community. I think, you know, my brother, when I was about 10 years old, uh, we were walking across the street. I was trying to get to a baseball game. My brother actually was struck by a vehicle, which ended up causing our family a lot of stress, a lot of financial stress. My brother, his ankle was crushed. He had to have multiple surgeries, dealt with it for a long time. And so I think this is the reality of a lot of, a lot of other people, right? Community members that are relying on walking or biking or getting to the bus in order to get to the place they need to go. And so we hope that through this coordinated action, we can see all traffic related deaths go down to zero within the next 10 years. And I think this is 
quite unique in the San Gabriel Valley because thus far there there really aren't any cities that have developed, let alone adopted or started implementing a, a Vision Zero Action Plan in the San Gabriel Valley. Only LA County for the unincorporated communities just recently did one last year. And then previously the city of LA have, but it, it is still a relatively new uh, planning approach in East Los Angeles County. And El Monte is more or less at the forefront of this effort. So I think a lot of us are very interested to see how this, hopefully this program plays out and is rolled out in a way that is easily understood by the community and is touchable and it can be carried on. It isn't just some arcane, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages of of documents that (laughs) people, anyone will read, you know, is likely to sit on a shelf somewhere. I think as you and I have discussed many times, you know, this, this idea or concept or planning concept of level of service, right? How fast can we get these cars in and out of here? It's something that's, you know, definitely archaic. We need to shift our focus to people-friendly streets. We need to shift our focus to the level of safety that prioritizes us as individuals feeling good about allowing our children across the street without us having to guide them, right? That's like the level of safety that we should all strive for. And we know that that's clearly not the reality, you know, with the number of fatalities, the ongoing, ongoing challenges here. I mean, I run about three times a week, maybe minimum, you know, and almost every time I run on these sidewalks, you know, there's always some near accident. I have to avoid, I can't tell you how many times I've almost been hit while running on these streets. It's just an ongoing thing. And so for us, we're really looking at, you know, hopefully cities looking at best practices to be able to mitigate these public safety concerns through design. Well, we'll definitely be looking forward to seeing how this this moves forward. And it, it sounds like there's even one other project that's going on in El Monte at the moment, made possible through some of the Measure M sub-regional funding, which is LA County's broken up into a number of different regions, and San Gabriel Valley is one of them. Every five years, I believe, there's a, a set amount of funding that the regional government is able to award to cities to advance mobility projects, and El Monte uh, secured some funding in the first first allocation of those funds. Correct. So through the San Gabriel Valley Council of Governments, the city was awarded approximately almost $600,000 for a class three effort. One of the ongoing things we keep going back and forth on is what's the best solution to the lack of bicycling or walking infrastructure that our communities face. And we know that it takes a long time to build class four infrastructure. And so in the meantime, we need to make sure that there are alternative lower stress streets for our community members to be able to get to and from east and west, north and south without such high concern around safety. And so the sub-regional program, the city of El Monte is going to be, has been awarded some dollars to be able to create some class three and wayfinding signage along Elliott and Fern, connecting them to Parkway Drive, San Gabriel River, also on the South Amani side to Merced Avenue, which we'll talk about next. You really have unique perspective having spent so much of your time in the community of El Monte as well as South El Monte, which some folks, even within the San Gabriel Valley, aren't aware is a unique, distinct city of its own. Similar, there's a Pasadena and there's a South Pasadena. (laughs) South El Monte is, is sometimes overlooked. I know that is a sensitive subject for them, but, uh, they have really been, uh, I would say, punching above their weight in terms of uh, securing grants and moving improvements forward thanks to you know, a lot of their staff efforts as well as community support for 
uh, safety improvements. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, as a, as a resident of the city of South Almani for about 25 years, South Almani's done quite a bit around bicycling and pedestrian infrastructure. So they have only the second protected bikeway along Durfee. They've also, you know, done some striping around, plastic striping around Thenis, connecting people on Santa Anita Avenue all the way onto the San Gabriel River via Thenis, connecting them also on Durfee. We have protected bikeways that take people on Durfee all the way to South Amani High School, which is great. Students are folks that mostly rely on walking and biking to get to and from destinations. So there's that extra safety layer that's been provided for them. The other thing that South Amani has worked on is that working in partnership with the Council for Water and Health, Climate Resolve, um, we were successfully awarded a State Coastal Conservancy grant for a planning and design effort for the Merced Avenue corridor. And this effort was really a thing that we built upon a previous planning effort in 2010, where the city identified multiple corridors, Santa Anita, Rush, Tyler, and Merced as these corridors that needed these multimodal improvements. And so uh, the city at the time was awarded about a $350,000 construction grant from Metro. So it was like, here are construction dollars with no design and engineering behind it. And so we were able to work with the city of South Almonte to put forward a proposal to the state coast conservancy that got awarded some planning and design money. And then through this iterative community engagement planning process, uh, we've been able to gather support from Merced Avenue residents Shout out to Carly Correll and the team to really get a lot of support for a protected bikeway on Merced Avenue. So if you're familiar with the area, the northern section, you know, so after Rush is really industrial. So it looks completely different from the southern section of Merced, which is really residential. And so rather than make one cookie cutter design across the whole corridor, we're really combining the best approach for each of the respective areas. And so the southern section is the one that's gonna go first. Um, in terms of funding, we were recently, the city was recently notified that they received a funding award of $3 million through the CNRA, the California Natural Resources Agency, to actually be able to build out that first phase. And so we're currently waiting award notice from the Rivers and Mountains Conservancy at the local level to determine if we're gonna receive an additional $3 million to support building out the entire Southern Corridor. And so that's really been a dynamic, integrated community engagement approach with our partners, the Council for Washington Health, Climate Resolve, Alta Planning and Design, TetraTech, and the City of South Almani to build a multiple benefit project where we're not only increasing public safety, you know, for people walking and biking, we're also capturing stormwater. They're gonna be introducing a lot more vegetation, tree wells, great landscaping that's also like the design's been chosen by community members as well as like address things like the urban heat island effect because we know that due to extreme temperatures moving forward it's going to continue to get hotter and when you say uh, community input what's really unique about this project is this wasn't just hosting a public meeting there was very robust community you literally were going door to door what did that look like engaging the residents of merced we wanted to make sure that we were paying attention at every step. Unlike other approaches that we've seen where it's like a single, you know, you go to a workshop, you show up, here's your input. I don't like it. I like it. Do this and that. And they come back and they present something different sometimes. Uh, we really wanted to make sure that it was an ongoing process with community. And so from the outset, even to how we shaped our approach was informed by community. And so we had this attitudinal survey 
we were able to, to find and analyze preferred methods of communication, what types of workshops they preferred to attend, what were their most pressing issues. That really allowed us to have an informed community engagement approach where we then attended community events to solicit people's feedback on the project. So we would attend, you know, parks, parks after dark type programming, community festivals, school fairs. And then we really took on an, an aggressive door-to-door campaign where we went door-to-door asking residents to give us feedback on what they wanted to see from Merced Avenue. And so we had that introductory workshop with folks where we kind of outlined the program and what it was, what was happening here. Uh, we introduced all the, all the folks that were going to be engaged, you know, how to contact us. We built a website for the Merced Avenue Greenway. And then subsequently after that, we actually hosted a demonstration event on Merced Avenue. So on Merced and Hayward, where we were able to show a temporary demonstration of what a protected bikeway would look like on Merced Avenue. And so what it was really was us inviting our neighbors to come and join us at this workshop, at this underutilized green space with games, we had food, we had activities, we had bikes lined up. Folks would take one of the bikes that we let them borrow they would ride it. They would come out the other end. There would be an experience survey, you know, like, how did it feel riding the protected bikeway? Did you feel safe? You know, do you feel safer riding this versus like on the street? Yes, you know? And so all that input was integrated within the design that was presented at 60% design to the city council. And so I think one of the, the things that I'll never forget is that, you know, again, we have this temporary demonstration meant to protect everyone from like, car traffic and it was Saturday and one of the folks who wasn't so high on the project tells me he goes this little girl shouldn't be riding on the street and the girl was having a blast like she was riding up and down the street like it was nobody's business you know like she was just going up and down without her parents having to chase her you know or be so concerned they're like oh she's fine like the parent was just like oh she's she's cool right because she was riding on a protected bikeway but you had this other person who was like this girl should not be on the street riding her bike I'll never forget that I'm looking at it like look, this child, she was probably like eight, eight to 10, is riding her bike and her parent is there without having to worry about her safety or her getting hit by a car. This is what we're trying to do. I'll never forget that, you know, fighting for people's public safety and the right to like bike and walk as they want, you know, in a safe manner. We had about 80 to 100 participants at that event. We got a lot of feedback. They chose a preferred design. We then went back out to the community. Again, shout out to Carly Correll. On Merced Avenue, you actually have an interesting mix of single family and multifamily residents. She went, we went door to door all along that corridor from like businesses, single families, multifamilies, telling them about the project and then asking them, which of these designs do you most prefer? And overwhelmingly, more than 70% of the folks chose some protected bikeway, whether it was on the sidewalk or at the street level. And ultimately, the one that was at the sidewalk level won because folks said, people are already riding on the sidewalk. Why not make it? you know, a multi-use trail for people to actually be able to ride on the sidewalk, protect it. City Council supported the design. We're moving forward. We're hoping to get 100% design done uh, this year, start construction on hopefully the southern, the southern section of it by sometime next year. So it's at 60% design right now, it sounds like, and then... Yeah, it's moving on to 90 and 100. Tetra Tech and Alta Planning and Design are leading that effort. And I think that's something for folks who aren't as deep in the rabbit hole of, of making streets safer for walking and biking, maybe familiar, this question of percentage of design. So for many of us have heard about cities adopting plans, right? And you see the lines on the map, like we're going to put a, a buffered bike and rollway here or a protected lane here or a path. But those 
are really just high level planning documents and there's been no formal design generally done with those. So just because it's in the plan doesn't mean as soon as there's funding, they can say like, let's go and implement. It still needs to be actually designed, which is a process in of itself. As with many things, the devil's in the details, you know, how are we, how much space is the buffer? Is the protected bikeway elevated or raised? What's the cost or major cost implications for that? And, and, you know, David, you shared that the city already has the second, only the second protected bike and rollway in the San Gabriel Valley on, on Durfee. This would potentially be the fourth. Claremont in the interim is also has one, but it would be the first raised or elevated protected bike and rollway. And, and that in and of itself is, uh, is a big deal. And, and it also means that it's going to cost more too, because uh, there's a lot more road work that needs to be done. But the city has already secured $3 million and uh, in terms of the planning and implementation of a lot of these projects, this is actually moving forward quite quickly. A number of cities adopt a plan and then not a lot happens for years, but you did this uh, robust outreach process, you started design, and now you've already secured funding for construction within, what's the time frame we're talking about total? We started in about 2017. And then in 2018 is when the the funded process started. So 2017, you know, working alongside community identified projects with the city on the proposal piece. And then 2018, April 2018 is when we got started on the actual community engagement and design process. And and I think, you know, Wes, to your point, it just speaks about the power of coalitions or collaboratives, right? This hasn't been done, you know, spearheaded singularly by active. It's like really a collective effort between us, the city of South Almani, the city staff there, as well as the Council for Washington Health, Climate Resolve, Petrotech, Alta, to be able to realize something like this. So it's really been a collective effort for us to get it to where we are. But it's like it's a challenge of like small cities being able to do this process, right? But I think the power is that, or the uniqueness of this project is that you have this collective of nonprofits that are working alongside the city to make sure that this gets done, which is super cool. Yeah, and I, that makes sense. I mean, I remember when. Uh, I believe it was Climate Resolve first came and and reached out and said, hey, there might be an opportunity here to do a really interesting, innovative Green Streets project via the Coastal Conservancy, which isn't a traditional funder of active transportation projects whatsoever. So a lot of creativity behind behind this effort um, and a lot of partners that allowed it to come so far. So I I think there's another, what else is going on in South Omani in terms of projects? After all this, right, you're going to have the Merced Avenue corridor from the northern city limits in South Almani to the northern limits approaching Almani to the southern limits. Santa Anita actually received Measure M sub-regional dollars. Again, one of those projects that was highlighted in that initial planning process that was done in 2009-2010 to realize a more people-friendly street. And so we don't have the full details in terms of what the scope is or the approach or the timeline, but we do know that Santa Anita Avenue has been awarded Measure M sub-regional dollars and a couple millions. I want to say it's $5.7 million that they've been awarded for the re- revitalization of the Santa Anita corridor. We think that it's going to be from Santa Anita Merced all the way to Tyler and Rush. Because Santa Anita is kind of weird. It kind of, Arajos and Cebollas, it goes up to Santa Anita and then eventually it's Almani. That other stretch on Tyler, that if you keep going north, goes all the way to Rush. And so the city's looking at revitalizing that corridor as well. You'll be able to Eventually, in South, little South Almonte, three square miles South Almonte, you'll be able to go from the Rio Hondo Trail, get off on Rush near Rosemead, go down Rush, hook onto Merced Avenue, go south on Merced, 
on a protected facility, connect onto Santa Anita on a protected facility. And if you want to go up Santa Anita, you could either, well, if you want to go down Merced, you could either go onto Whittier Narrows because there's that park there by Earthworks Farm, or you can make that left onto Santa Anita and then link up to the, uh, to the San Gabriel River via Thenis. So Santa Anita, Thenis, you cross another protected bikeway in Durfee all the way north to Thenis, where you actually are able to get onto the San Gabriel River. Ten years from now, South Del Monte could have the most protected bikeways in the SGD, just in one city. That would be something very remarkable for a small community and speaks a lot to the, their staff as well. I know they have some excellent staff who've been with the city a long time. And for those of us who work in this field have really recognized how critical that is due to the length of these projects from planning to community input to funding and then to when the funding becomes available and sometimes going after multiple competitive grant opportunities to get a project funded. Three to five or more years is not uncommon. If you have staff turning over during that period, that can really become a challenge in terms of a project being successfully implemented. And I think the staying power and the commitment of a lot of the South Omani team is has moved them forward and has allowed a lot of this to happen as well. Moving to another community in the San Gabriel Valley, uh, one that I don't think a lot of people have even thought much about with regards to active transportation, especially in, in so far as bike infrastructure. City of Arcadia was awarded a California Active Transportation Program grant a couple years ago. It's one of the communities in the San Gabriel Valley, one of the only ones left that actually doesn't have an active transportation plan or a pedestrian or bike master plan. In effect, that is no longer a requirement for ATP under California's previous main funding category for bikeways, the bicycle transportation account. You had to have a local plan. They don't, but they applied to do over 10 miles of new bike lanes, install bike parking, as well as add video bicycle detection at some intersections on some of their major thoroughfares. So those familiar with Arcadia, Huntington Drive is the biggest arterial cutting through the town. So the plan itself includes a lot of the major streets in the city, including Huntington Drive, dedicated bike lanes for the first time in the city there, which will connect to planned bike lanes in unincorporated East Pasadena that are also already funded and should be happening later this year or early sometime next year by LA County Public Works. High visibility crosswalks as well on Huntington Drive. They're looking at adding bike lanes to Santa Clara Street and First Street, which um, have little segments, maybe a quarter mile max, right adjacent to the Gold Line Station, but extending those out to make it easier for people to get to the station on a bike or on a skateboard or other rolling device. I know we're seeing more and more different types of micro-mobility, as some people refer to in the, the planning world. Um, Colorado Boulevard, also class two lanes planned for Colorado. That's an iconic street in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, there's some existing lanes in the city of Monrovia where, uh, that connect to Arcadia, so that would be also expanding a facility that's east-west. And then Sierra Madre Boulevard, also east-west, uh, class two lanes. Then a couple of their smaller streets, Highland Oaks, Omani Avenue, Baldwin Avenue, parts of Live Oak Avenue, and Sunset Boulevard uh, connecting to Huntington Drive. So very exciting to see the city of Arcadia adopt and move forward with a network approach. I think this is another thing we've talked about internally, and I know we've talked to community members about, 
doing a mile of bike lane uh, that doesn't connect to any other bikeways, it doesn't create a comfortable, convenient, useful uh, network of streets people can rely on to get around via bike. So doing a lot of relatively low cost projects at once, such as just striping dedicated lanes has proven very effective in other communities. And this one is actually slated. The city already put it out to bid. Uh, They selected a contractor. The city council approved that contract and it should be happening in the next two months or so. Sometime in June or July, these lanes should be going into effect which is really great to hear. And, and a lot of credit is due to the Arcadia staff who've been there a long time and have been working to make the city easier to get around with on a bike. We don't have to take a field trip over to Arcadia to check these out. I know I'm personally biased because I use the gold line regularly to get to El Monte when I don't want to ride the full distance. Some of these streets I use regularly to get to the Jeff Seymour Center in our offices in El Monte. I will be benefiting directly from them. (laughs) Yeah, and I know the other thing that Arcadia was doing that's innovative and really evidence-based in terms of improving safety that you've mentioned to us in the past is something uh, by the technical term known as early walk, right, but lead pedestrian indicators in where Arcadia has done quite a bit of this work, right, Wes? Yeah, they are one of the first. I know Pasadena also implemented the early walk signals. So, if you've been to old Pasadena or other parts of, like, for example, downtown LA or Santa Monica, before the light turns green for motorists, the pedestrian signal gives you a three to five second head start, you know, so you can start getting into the intersection before someone tries to take a right turn and cuts in front of you. And that alone is relatively low cost improvement. Some of the federal research on its effectiveness has found approximately 60% reduction in collisions between people walking and folks driving vehicles, which is, you know, really massive. Arcadia implemented this at, I believe it's 36 intersections, signalized intersections in the city, and including on uh, First Street, which you know, we just talked about is going to get a dedicated bike lane now, um, as well as on uh, Huntington Drive in their downtown area. So. If you're on a bike, it's usually helpful as well because it, it gives folks a few seconds extra time to get across the street. Arcadia is doing a great job improving bike and pet safety right now. So I, I know LA County Public Works is responsible for all the islands of unincorporated county in the San Gabriel Valley, of which there, there are many, uh, including we talked a little bit about East Pasadena, which directly abuts the city of Arcadia and that they already have Measure M sub-regional funds to implement buffered bike lanes on Huntington Drive, which will extend the ones that Arcadia has in the works. But they also have been working on a number of other projects, and they had an ATP award to fund a Greenway project, which is something uh, we as an organization have been championing for many years now. And David has been intimately involved with helping the community engage in that project and soliciting public input. So this is, you know, before COVID, obviously, we were able to develop an approach where we went again door to door uh, along the corridor for this 2.1 mile project that's 100% fully funded by the California ATP, which would create, you know, one of these multi-use, multi-benefit trails along, you know, many communities, the city of La Puente, industry and unincorporated Alley County. And so we were able to go to door to door and we got more than 120 persons to express the support in favor of the project. 
it's uh, heavily supported by the supervisor's office, the supervisor. So Lise has been, I think, really going above and beyond, which I think is extraordinary. One of the cooler aspects of the project is that, you know, they're also, you know, working in a river ranger program. So not only for more eyes on the river, but also integrating youth opportunities for them to get this like real world experience through this river ranger program. We really wanted to make sure that it wasn't a punitive approach, but really a proactive approach to engaging more youth and community members in the process of having more eyes on the, on the greenway. And so we're really looking forward to seeing that come true here for the communities of La Puente, City of Industry, and Incorporated Allegheny. Yeah, and I know the SGV Greenways campaign is really part of a broader vision for 100 plus miles across San Gabriel Valley. Very uh, fortunate to have this huge watershed with existing right-of-way along a lot of the creeks and county flood control channels, et cetera. And this is obviously one of those projects or one of those areas that has been identified and is moving forward even while County Public Works is engaging and just embarking upon another technical feasibility study to implement greenway projects more systematically across the county. So nice to see see this moving closer towards implementation, especially in an area that really lacks safe streets and safe areas to ride a bike or a skateboard or other people-powered device. And then the last community we wanted to touch base on, and uh, we actually very fortunate to have the opportunity to reach out to a founder of the Laverne Bicycle Coalition, who has been working diligently the last few years to help his community implement its first dedicated bikeways, Doug Strange. Hi, Doug. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm really excited to have you share what's been going on in the city of Laverne. We know you and the Laverne Bicycle Coalition have been working for several years to improve conditions for bicycling. That is really seems to be coming to fruition over the last, last year, really. What's been going on in Laverne? Well, Laverne is at the final stages of completing implementing a significant amount of bicycle infrastructure. And this came from, I believe it was a cycle two active transportation grant. So this has been in the pipeline for quite a while. And so, but we've been seeing it go on the ground from basically the end of last year. And now we're just finishing the final stages. So that includes about 14 miles of bike lanes some upgrades, 10 or 11 traffic lights upgraded so they recognize bicycles and will trigger for bicycles. That's pretty much the majority of it. But that creates basically kind of the raw skeleton you know, of, of a bike network. There's areas that can be fleshed out, but a lot of the bones now are in place. And before that kind of 14 miles, which is a lot for a, for a small city like Laverne, where where were you at a year ago in terms of the number of, of dedicated bicycle lanes in the city? Yeah, in essence, we had none. There is a, a, a multi-use path that goes through the city. There's a kind of a wide sidewalk that had been categorized like you know, a class one bike path. We could argue if it is or not, but that was pretty much the extent of the bicycle infrastructure. Wow. So the city has really kind of gone from zero to 100. For probably most residents, they don't realize that this doesn't just happen overnight. It sounds like it was a 2016 grant application to the California Active Transportation Program. Four years later, it's finally coming to fruition. And 
over the span of probably a, a couple of months of implementation. How, what's your sense been in terms of how the community has received the safety improvements? I think it's been really good overall. So, you know, in a world of social media, there's a lot of voices and, you know, a lot of this was being put in place at the same time as uh, the election cycle. And there is a, a pretty difficult election cycle here. So there's a lot of people that are vocal, but in our favor, both the existing mayor and the new mayor were very supportive. So it, it never kind of became the top issue, but there was, um, you know, the usual, you know, um, but, but they tend to be much louder on social media than in reality. In reality, it, I think it was received really well overall. And then I guess I would say the timing ended up being pretty helpful in terms of coinciding with this sudden increase. I think many of us are seeing across the region and the country in terms of the number of people uh, using bikes who weren't regular bicyclists before uh, we have the stay-at-home order, uh, as well as just people out and about walking. Is, is that something that yes. you're seeing in Laverne? Yes, we're definitely seeing that. And it's also been helpful because you, you, you would see comments like, really, we're spending money on this? How many bicyclists are there really? But right now the answer is, well, there's quite a few actually. And so that's really kind of ramped up the numbers. You see a lot of casual cyclists out on bikes. They obviously kind of just dusted off out of the garage. And so they're getting good use. And it kind of takes away some of that uh, skeptics counting numbers of bikes and seeing if they thought this was money well spent. It's probably also helpful that you're doing 14 miles at once because in many instances, in a lot of communities, especially here in the San Gabriel Valley, where so many cities have very few dedicated uh, bike and rollways, uh, when you put in one project that may be a mile or maybe a mile and a half, that doesn't connect to anything else, and then it's not well used. It also shouldn't be that surprising. Laverne seems like it's really implemented more of a network at once, which uh, increases the functionality of using a bike and being able to do so in a safe and, and comfortable manner. So with that said, what's kind of in store next for Laverne or what are uh, local advocates like yourself hoping to see the community uh, move forward with or improve upon? For, for those that are advocates like, like myself, I think what was most obvious was the fact that we had no bicycle infrastructure was really the results of a process in which it, it wasn't designed to produce any. It wasn't a priority in the city. There was nobody really speaking for it. Street, even as street projects were done, there was really no opportunity to speak into them, to ask if it could be done different. The city passed the complete streets ordinance a year or so ago, so that was put in place. The city formed an active transportation committee, which was something we had long advocated for. And, and so we're really hopeful that now the process of doing street projects, there's now an opportunity to be involved in those. The Active Transportation Council is expected to review all the projects. They're supposed to review opportunities for grants and you know make suggestions. And so there's kind of a more formal opportunity to be involved in the process. The other component that I think is really key is that Laverne was one of the few cities that did not have an active transportation plan. 
So I would always say it shouldn't have been a surprise that we had no active transportation infrastructure because we had no plan to have any infrastructure. And so we're in the very last stages now of completing the active transportation plan. So I would say those are, those are key. Having a plan and having a formal committee with a formal role in looking at projects and aligning them with the plan is kind of key for us going forward. We don't have any other major like infrastructure projects specifically, but I think that with the plan and the committee, I think it'll go about the process of looking for those opportunities. That really makes uh, Laverne unique too in the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, there are only a couple communities with committees dedicated to that. I know Claremont has a similar committee on pedestrian and bike improvements, but for the most part, cities just have a transportation committee or commission, and yours is even more unique. Generally, the commissions or commissions usually don't have council members uh, serving on them, and the Laverne Active Transportation Committee has two sitting council members, so they're, they're hearing directly from the resident members uh, in terms of you know the needs of people walking and biking in town. And I might add to that that it's true that we have two city council members, but one was just elected mayor, and he chose not to rotate out. So in essence, the mayor sits on our committee as well, and so that is great. There, there's been much discussion back and forth, it, although the title is Active Transportation Committee, is the scope really a, a transportation committee? You know, it's functioning more as a transportation committee, and I'm okay with that because I think balance is important, and it makes all transportation issues go through the committee, and which allows a active transportation perspective to be added to them. If we were truly only active transportation, we would probably only see a subset of the work. Right. Yeah, and that makes sense too. I think we're seeing some cities as they're updating their commissions and committees. South Pasadena just uh, created a new mobility commission. So the language is changing a bit to be more inclusive of all the different uh, modes of transportation and how people are using streets. Wes, you, you asked me about projects. I neglected to mention the gold line, and we certainly expect to see active transportation projects generated out of that. Yeah, I know there's a specific plan, too, that was done, the first mile, last mile plan, kind of referring to how, how can we make it easier for people to get to that station by foot or by bike or by other kind of rolling modes. So recommendations were made for all the new cities that will be receiving a, a Gold Line station, Pomona, uh, San Dimas, uh, Glendora, et cetera. So I, that certainly is something, a, a huge opportunity to make those stations as accessible as possible and, and more so than the, the previous rounds of Gold Line extensions. I know many of the cities that already have stations, there was very little to no planning done to implement pedestrian improvements and other bicycling improvements to the stations. All right. Well, thanks again for your time, Doug. Really appreciate it. And yeah, excited to get out to Laverne again soon to check out all these new, new bikeways in person. So the month of May is also known as National Bike Month in the United States. Many of the events and programs that had been planned for 2020 have been rescheduled or canceled due to the COVID-19 crisis. 
the National Bike to Work Week and Day has been rescheduled to the month of September. Bike to Work Week, which is organized by the League of American Bicyclists, will take place September 21st through the 27th. And the National Bike to Work Day uh, has been shifted to coincide with International Car Free Day on September 22nd. Uh, hopefully by then um, these events will be able to move forward without a hitch. Until then, we are very fortunate in the San Gabriel Valley to have uh, the region's premier bike week event still moving forward, but just in a very different format. Uh, the city of Pasadena has hosted a bike week Pasadena for the past decade plus, thanks to the original inspiration by a small community-based nonprofit called Cycle. Fortunately, Cycle is no longer able to, to organize the event. As a result, well, one of their legacies is really that this event is, is still taking place. And we're, we're very grateful to see that even amidst the current situation, the city decided to transform the event into a, a month-long Walk Local Bike Solo campaign. So rather than having a lot of the in-person events, such as the popular Taste of Pasadena ride, the new updated COVID-19 friendly program includes uh, remote rides, challenges that can be done on your own, as well as contests throughout the month of May. Active SGV is also excited that we have been able to partner with Day One and the city to offer free basic bike repair by appointment only to residents of the city of Pasadena with a focus on folks who are unable to afford to go to a, a local bike shop at this time. But you can find out all about that specific opportunity as well as the whole month I think it's over a dozen individual activities and events at the city's uh, project-specific website, which is www.walklocalbikesolo.com. Again, walklocalbikesolo.com. So that, uh, that concludes part one of our state of active transportation in the SGV. Uh, stay tuned for part two. We will be taking a dive on uh, additional updates on active mobility in the San Gabriel Valley, including some COVID-19 efforts to make streets safer for walking and bicycling, as well as some upcoming opportunities to get projects actually funded. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, again, if you'd like to take a look at some of the projects discussed today, including the Merced Avenue Greenway, be sure to check out our show liner notes. Also, be sure to visit our website, activesgv.org, to learn about uh, our work, as well as to sign up for our monthly email update and find current opportunities to get active with us. If you're more active on social media, uh, please follow us at ActiveSGV on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And last but not least, if you're in a position to do so, you can also support our work by becoming a contributing member at activesgv.org backslash donate. Donations of, at every level are, are really appreciated and help make our work possible. And last but not least, another thank you to our current Active SGV members, as well as the Liberty Hill Foundation for helping make this podcast possible. 